Good morning, church, and welcome to our house. If it's your first time with us, let me say once again, we are so glad you are here. I know it's one of those four-day weekends, so we have a lot of people traveling, which means we have people gone, but it also means we have several of you who are here, maybe for the first time. If that's you, uh, we really are so glad that you are here today. I want to st- before I start, I want to start by sharing some good news with you. Uh, after uh, extensive search process, much prayer and conversation, um, I'm really excited to announce today that we have actually hired a new worship minister for Riverside. Uh, I want to introduce you to Zach Cowdery, at least via picture. Uh, Zach, uh, you may remember Zach. He was here. He led worship for us uh, several months ago, I think back in May, before he left uh, on a two-month mission trip to Greece. And so that, that may tell you all you need to know about Zach. Zach is a recent graduate of Harding University. Uh, he has a deep desire for, uh, for worship. In fact, his plan all through college was to graduate and to go into worship ministry. And we're excited uh, that God has brought Zach to us. So a couple things you might want to know about Zach. He, um, he has a deep heart for worship. He was sort of the go-to guy on campus at Harding for all four years for faculty and staff for their worship events. Uh, he interned throughout his college career at churches like uh, Littleton Church of Christ in Littleton, Colorado, and uh, University Church of Christ in Conway, Arkansas. In fact, uh, if he would drive from Searcy every Sunday uh, all the way to Conway to lead worship every week uh, for, what, three years through college. Uh, unbelievable experience for someone his age. So we're really glad uh, that, again, that God has brought Zach to us. We, we think he's going to be a tremendous for Riverside. He has a huge heart for God, a huge heart for people, a huge desire to learn and to grow, and we think this will be a great opportunity for him. He recently got engaged to Madison, and uh, Madison uh, is his fiance. They got engaged about a month ago, give or take. I can't remember exactly. They'll be getting married uh, in March. He'll be here on October 21st. That will be his first Sunday to be present at Riverside. He won't lead worship that day. We'll give him a little bit of time to get settled in before he starts, but I hope when he does come, uh, you'll embrace him, uh, you'll encourage him, you'll bless him. I know you will. Riverside has a tremendous track record of welcoming uh, new, new ministers, especially young ministers. And so I know this will be a, a great opportunity for our church uh, to embrace Zach and to embrace Madison and welcome them into our faith family. I want to say, just, uh, and I'll end with this on this note, a special thank you to all those who helped with this process uh, it's been six, seven-month process of prayer, of searching, of reaching out to people, of, of interviewing, of talking to candidates, of talking to references, and all these kinds of things you do. And so uh, I'll read the names so I don't miss anybody. I want to I thank Steve Cates, Lisa Evans, Debbie Samaras, Peggy Taylor, Ju- Julie Pagenkoff, Clark Byro, John Pauley, Jeff Gould, and especially Craig Nolan, who kind of led the way for us through this process. Without their help, this would not have been possible. And so it's an exciting time for Riverside. I'm excited as we go into the end of the year to bring Zach on board. And I know he's going to be a blessing to us. And I know that we also will be a tremendous blessing to him. So praise God for that. Can I get an amen? Somebody? There we go. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So this month we are starting this series called Difference Makers, except... We're really restarting it. And so if you were here back in uh, April and May, we did, a, we did a two-week series around this idea to sort of launch it, and now we're coming back to it. And part of that's because this is part of who we're trying to be. Uh, we say it almost every week. We really, really, really want to live different uh, in this world because of what Jesus has done for us. And part of living different, part of that 
is, is making a difference in the world around us. And like this morning, celebrating Steve and Renee, and like we have in, in previous weeks, celebrating different difference makers, we're blessed in this church to have so many people who serve in so many ways. And some of you don't even know how each other are serving, but let me tell you, as I was thinking this week about this idea, it didn't take me long to list 20 names of people who are serving this church in very quiet ways. But what they do makes a huge difference. In fact, if they didn't do what they did, you and I would notice it makes that big of an impact. So I'm glad we're getting back to this. And this, this whole month is sort of our engagement. It's kind of become that the last couple of years. Uh, like John just announced, on October 21st, we'll have a chance to give. We'll have a chance to support what Riverside does in missions here in our community and around the world. That's going to be a big day for our church. The very next Sunday, the 28th, we'll go. I love that. One Sunday we give. The next Sunday we go. All of it is finding ways to engage in what matters most. And this Sunday there's a few sign-ups, and we'll have more of those next week, I'm sure, uh, as we sign up for ways to help with Engage Sundays. I hope you and your family, you and your small group, you and your friends will find a project, find an idea, some way that day that we can go into our community and show our community we love them, that we care, that Riverside cares, that this is who we are. We don't just gather, we gather so we can be sent, so we can go into the world around us and and share the love of Jesus. Not just come and and receive it and and enjoy it, but to take it out and to share it with those around us. That's the day where we just sort of emphasize, hey, this this is one thing we do, but it really represents a value of who we want to be every day of the year. Engage. How do we engage in what matters most? I'll never forget, this has been several years ago now. Uh, I was going with, with some friends to a, to a church I'd never been to before. And we were walking up, it was a little bit early, and we got there. And I got out of the car, and I saw a group of people huddled up, uh, similar to this, wearing yellow vests in the parking lot. Pretty quickly, I, I realized, oh, this is... These are the parking lot volunteers. This is what they do is as people are coming in to church, they stand in the parking lot. Maybe you've seen this in different places, and they sort of direct traffic and make sure if you're coming in, especially for the first time, you know how to get to where you need to get so you can get in the building and find your way around okay. What struck me was that they got there early. They got prepared. They got on their shiny yellow vest, which I'm sure they love to wear, and then they gathered to pray. And that really had a profound impact on me. That here's a group of people that woke up early, they got to church early, they got, you know, prepared early. And now, before anybody pulled in the parking lot, they were praying about what was about to happen. It had a profound impact on me because I think what we often do, at least what I do, I won't speak for you, but I think what we do so often is we are very quick to assign value to what we're asked to do. And if whatever it is we're asked to do seems important, sounds important, uh, seems like it has some sort of notoriety or recognition with it, then we're quick to say, yes, yeah, we'll do that. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want to be known. And so if it's something where people will notice and, oh, oh, they got asked to do that, wow, yes, you'll say yes to that. But if it's something that doesn't sound important, if it's something that, eh, i got to get there early, it's, not, it's kind of a thankless job, you know, it feels more like a chore, you know. Do we have to do that? Maybe, maybe I'll wait and wait for something else to come along, something better, something more important to come along. I think that's because what we've done, I think this is really true, is we've, we've assigned value to our work, and based on our work, we assign value to ourselves. And if what we do feels important, then we feel important. 
And we draw our our recognition and we draw our identity and we draw our self-worth and our self-value from the things that we do, from the work that we do. But that's not how it is in God's economy. In fact, it's actually the other way around. In God's economy, who you are, it's who you are that determines the work that you do. And I think this is something that that a lot of you honestly get. So today I'm going to be preaching to the choir for a lot of you. Some of you, you may not have figured that out yet, and that's okay. You can come on this journey if you're scripture with us today. What I want us to do is is look at the story again in Acts. So if you have your Bible or the Bible app, you can turn that on, open that up. In Acts, what we find is is a letter written by a guy named Luke, who was a Greek, who was an early believer in Jesus. And he sort of tells the history, the beginning, uh, what happens in the church as as it starts out. In fact, in your Bibles, it may have the title Acts of the Apostles, and that's an okay name. I think a better name might be Acts of the Church, or even better, Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Church. Because what you find throughout this letter is Luke describing the beginnings of the church and how God was moving in and through them in different ways as they were just starting out. Jesus has, has risen and he has ascended to heaven, and now the church is beginning. And like any thing that begins, there's problems. There's hiccups, there's speed bumps, they have to figure things out. The only problem is Jesus isn't like they're present anymore, like he's not on site. I mean, his spirit is, and they're trying to figure out how do we discern the will of the spirit. And if you've been around here very long, we're still trying to figure that out ourselves. It's not always that easy. But they're trying to figure that out. And I want, to hear, I want you to hear this morning one of the first stories that comes out of the church in Acts as it's beginning. At this point in the story, the church has already grown from, grown from those original group of disciples. In fact, now the church numbers in the thousands, those, of, those who have come to faith in belief that Jesus is the Messiah. He died, he was buried, he's risen again. Thousands of people, over 5,000 people at this point in the story have come to faith in Jesus. So the church is growing like crazy. And in Acts 6, verse 1, Luke says this, As the believers rapidly multiplied, There were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. Now, for those of you who have ever been a part of a church, it won't surprise you that there was a complaint. (laughs) There was a dispute. There was a disagreement. That's true of every church. Because every church is really just one large faith family. If you've ever been a part of a family of any kind, you know this is what happens. This is part of life. We can, we can laugh about this because this happens. There's always going to be disagreements. There's always going to be something that rises up, some sort of complaint. The beauty of the church, the beauty of a faith family, is it's what holds us together. Our belief in Jesus as Lord is stronger than any disagreement that could rise up from our ranks. And that's what happens here. Now, there is a real problem. You've got, you've got, so just picture this. You've got the Greek-speaking Jews, Jews who, had, who have come back now to Jerusalem, who had lived far away because of things that had happened in the past in their history where they had been spread out across the world. Now they're coming back, but they speak Greek. Then you have those who were there all along. They speak Hebrew. Some of the widows are being cared for. Some of them aren't. So they bring the dispute all the way to the top to the 12 apostles. This is, this is serious. Here's what happens next. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. Let's, let's all get together. Family meeting. They said, We apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. 
So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the Word. Now, I want to make sure you're clear about this, right? The twelve were not saying that what they were doing was more important than running the food program. They're not saying that. They're just saying that they needed help. In fact, up to this point in the story, as far as we know, they've been running the food program up to this point in time. But now there's a problem. There's a problem because some people were getting more than others, or at least it seemed that way. Was it true? Was it a perception? Was it an oversight? We don't really know. But there was a problem. And the apostles realized that, you know what? Feeding the widows and taking care of them, that is important. Preaching and teaching the world, that, the word, that is important. Prayer, that is important. The growth of the church, that is important. And pretty early on, they realized this, that they, as awesome as they were, that they, even though they had walked and lived with Jesus and they were now known as the 12 apostles, they couldn't do it all. And in fact, if everything had to go through them, if, they, if, they, if any one of them or even they as a group had the responsibility of doing every single thing the church would need, that they would limit the church's ability to grow. And that, that was unacceptable. And so what do they do? They said, hey, let's get together. And let's figure this thing out as a family. Because we need to put systems in place that are going to enable absolutely the important work of taking care of our widows. And the important work of growing the church. And the important work of spreading and teaching and preaching the word. And the important work of prayer. All of this is important. So everyone, verse 5, liked this idea. And they chose the following. And I want you to hear these names. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, however you say his name, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convert to the Jewish family. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. So they gathered these seven men together. They lay hands on them. They pray for them. They ordain them for ministry. And now it's their job, it's their responsibility to make sure all the widows have all the food that they need. That is their ministry. ministry. That is their job. Because of that, verse 7, God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. Now here's what I find really fascinating at this point in the story. After this verse, after this moment, you only hear about two of these seven men ever again. Stephen and Philip. The other five, as far as we know, we, we, we just never hear of them. They were all given this responsibility of caring for widows, this ministry of making sure they got the food that they needed. But after this moment, we never hear about any of these guys again, except for Stephen and Philip. Now, I bring that up for this really simple reason, and we'll get back to it in a minute. But whenever you say yes to God, whenever you, whenever you allow God to to define your purpose, and you step into any role, no matter how small you think it is. Taking care of the widows at church, that sounds, if you and I were talking about that, that might sound like a, a small job. So let's get some guys together to do that. Let's get some people together who can take care of that. 
that whenever you say yes, whenever you say yes to God's purpose, even in small ways, God always seems to use that to position you for greater things in his kingdom. In fact, in the very next verse, we hear about Stephen, but we don't hear about his stellar care of widows. It's not like, let me tell you what Stephen did in this incredible new ministry that we you know, branded and named and we got a logo and then Stephen just went off the chart taking care of all the widows in the church. We don't hear about that. Verse 8, what Luke says, the very next thing we hear about Stephen is that he was a man full of God's grace and power and that he performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. Now he was called to serve the widows and I would, I would guess, I would speculate that he was incredibly faithful in that task. Because the next thing we read about Stephen is that God has given him grace and power to do signs and wonders and to preach and to proclaim the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did that so well that one day, verse 9, some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit with which Stephen spoke. So they persuaded some men to lie about Stephen, saying, We heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. Very strange thing to say. This roused the people, though, the elders and the teachers of religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. And here's what's crazy. What was Stephen's original job? His original job was to care for Greek-speaking widows who were Jewish who weren't getting enough food. And now you have Greek-speaking Jews who, oh, by the way, don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, have decided to debate Stephen, even though he's probably taking care of their mom down the street, right? (laughs) And they come against him with these accusations because they can't beat him in a debate. He's got too much. God has given them the spirit of of wisdom, the spirit of of grace, and they can't debate with the guy. And the only thing they can figure out to do to to shut him down and to shut down his ministry because he's having such an impact in their community is to bring false witness against him. Sound like anybody else you know? Luke is an incredible author, and as he tells the story, one of the things he does from this point on is he's going to mirror the story of Stephen with the story of someone else who couldn't win a debate, or who won every debate. They couldn't win against him. Someone else who was full of spirit and power. Someone else who could do signs and wonders. Someone else who was falsely accused and arrested. Luke's going to compare the story of Stephen to the story of Jesus. And in this moment, the only way they can figure out to get at Stephen is to get some people to lie about him to get some people to bring false testimony against him, to try to shut him down. And I think that's important, really for one big reason. They wouldn't have gone to all that trouble if Stephen wasn't making a difference. If he wasn't being a bother, if he wasn't causing a problem, if he wasn't, if he wasn't making a difference in his community for Jesus, they would have let this guy ride on. But he was making such a difference that they had to find a way to shut him down because he was a threat to their position and their power and their way and their ideas and honestly their religion. So verse 13, the lying witnesses says, said, 
This man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs of Moses, change the customs Moses handed down to us. Again, none of that's true. But at this moment, as they're bringing false accusation against Stephen, they look at Stephen, and there's something different about him. At this point, verse 15, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen because his face became as bright as an angel's. He's standing before the council. They're bringing false accusation against him. And even as they're lying through their teeth, they look at Stephen, and his face is shining. They know something is different about him. And they ask Stephen, are these accusations that they're bringing against you, are they true? When they asked Jesus that question, you know what Jesus did? You remember? He said nothing. He remained silent. Stephen couldn't do that. They said, Stephen, are these accusations that they're bringing against you, are they true? Stephen, he answered. He didn't answer that question, but he did answer the question. And we don't have time this morning to read it, but the entire next chapter, chapter 7, 60 verses, Stephen goes on a tirade, a monologue, telling these people, the people of God, these Israelites, these Jewish people, their history and showing them that all throughout their history, God was using the people of God to bring them the Messiah of God. And he did that in the form of Jesus. And in fact, they were the ones who when Jesus came, when God's Messiah came, when God finally used the people of God to bring the world, the Messiah of God, they were the ones who crucified him and killed him. Well, as you might imagine, this enraged the council. The Sanhedrin is what they were called. To the point that they literally picked up rocks and stoned Stephen to death right there. You're probably thinking that's not the best story to tell when I'm asking you to sign up to help a church. <laughs> but that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. Because if you keep reading, you find out what happens. In Acts 8, I'm just going to read two verses, verse 1 and verse 4. It says that after that, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And here's why that's important, verse 4. The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. All right, so just rewind the tape and think about this for a minute. This all started one day when the 12 apostles came to a guy named Stephen and said, Hey, we've got some widows who are going hungry in our church. Can you help? And Stephen said, Yes. And because he said yes to taking care of the widows in the church, God saw that faithfulness, and God positioned him with power and with, with grace to do signs and wonders and to point the people of God to the Messiah of God, to Jesus. And his ministry was having a profound impact in their community, so much so that the Jews who didn't believe Jesus was who he says he was came against him, opposed him, persecuted him, and even killed him. But because of his ministry because of his life, and even because of his death, a greater persecution came upon not just Stephen, but upon the whole church, and they were scattered. And because they were scattered, here's what happened. The message of Jesus scattered, and the church grew exponentially. And the church was able to carry out 
the mission of Jesus when he said, go into all the world. Go into all the world and make disciples of all the world. And you want to know the funny thing? I don't know if any of that would have happened if Stephen would not have said yes over here, taking care of widows. In fact, if I could be so bold, you and I might not even be here in this room today if Stephen had not said yes to taking care of widows that day. You see, you just never know. You never know what saying yes, even to serving in a small way, is going to mean for the kingdom of God. And I want to bring that up today because on the one hand, so many of you are serving our church in some incredible ways. And we just cannot say thank you enough for the way that you are making a difference here in our church and in our community. It's unbelievable. And I'm glad that we get to celebrate a few on stage. But you know that's really representative of what's going on throughout the life of our faith family here in this place. Most of us probably don't know who it is or who coordinates Us having communion prepared every week so that when you come in and you sit down, there's someone coming to serve you with bread and cup. But because they said yes to an email Jason probably sent six months ago, you and I get to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus every Sunday. Most of us probably don't know who gets here early and unlocks the doors and turns on the lights, and makes sure there's coffee prepared. Can we get an amen for that person? We probably see the people who stand in our foyer, and they open the doors for guests and for members alike who are coming into church on a Sunday. They probably don't even realize what a difference they make. You realize some people who get up the, uh, the energy to, to, to get up and to get ready and to come to church on a Sunday, some of them have not seen a smiling face all week. Some of them haven't smiled all week. Some of you have been there. And when you walk down that path and you come up to our church and there's people there smiling and they're happy to see you. No one's been happy to see you all week for whatever reason. I don't know. But these people are happy to see you. Maybe they don't know you. I don't know. But they're happy to see you. And it makes you happy you're here. And you know what? Just think about it. If those people didn't do what they do, let's just start with that. If those people weren't out there opening the door and greeting you when you walked in with a, a warm hello and a big old smile, do you think that they would be even partly receptive to hearing a word from God? On any given Sunday? Probably not. Probably not. If people didn't do what they do, we wouldn't be able to to, to come and enjoy our time together as a family. We wouldn't be be able to enjoy celebrating Jesus every Sunday. We wouldn't be able to do anything. So much of it happens and so much of it's invisible, but all of it has to happen so that when you and I come together in this place, and even throughout the week, like Ron mentioned a while ago, so many things are happening in the life of this church, and it's happening because somewhere along the way, some of you said yes. And here's what's amazing. You may never know the difference your yes to God has made in the life of another person. And I say that for two reasons. One, because if you're doing that, if you're living that, if I'm talking to you right now, if you are a difference maker in this church, and there are so many of you, thank you. You never know what your yes has meant for somebody. You just never know what your obedience, 
what's your faith, what's your energy, what's your effort, what's your decision to get up, to show up, to open up your home, to do whatever it is you do. You never know the difference that makes in the life. of, And you may not know this side of eternity. The second reason is this. If you're here and you don't have a job yet, get a job. Find a way. Find something to say yes to to make a difference. Because here's what we know is true. God always calls us for a purpose. And when he does, he positions us for an impact. And you may never know the impact you're making. But let me tell you, when you say yes to God's purpose, he always uses that purpose to make an impact for his kingdom. So every one of us, we have to find something to say yes to. And the question is, if you haven't said yes to something, some of you are like, I've already said yes to 10 things, and I'm going to say yes to 10 more because you're just that kind of person. I'm not talking to you, although that would be wonderful. But some of us need to find something to say yes to for the first time. So what do you need to say yes to today? And it, it may be as simple as signing up to serve on Engage Sunday and starting there. It may be as simple as, we don't even have a parking lot team, but if you want to come with a yellow vest, we'll put you to work. It may be as simple as holding a door and greeting someone on a Sunday. Sometimes I think we assign value to those things and say, oh, that's not important. Oh, somebody else can do that. You know what? If no one did that, no one would do that. Every purpose, every person has a purpose, and every purpose matters. And every purpose positions you to have an impact far beyond your knowledge or your human reach for the kingdom of God. I guarantee you, Stephen had no idea when he said yes to helping take care of some widows and showing them the love and the grace and the mercy and the provision of Jesus Christ that a short time later, with rocks being hurled at him, he would repeat the words of Jesus and say, Father, forgive them. He had no idea when he said yes to serving those people food that one day, in not, not that very long, he would say, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And he had no idea that halfway around the world, a group of followers of Jesus would be sitting in this room today talking about him because he said yes to caring for widows. You never know what your yes, how God will use your yes. Church, if you would, let's, let's stand together. We really do have a church full of difference makers. But honestly, we need more Stevens. We need more people who are willing to say yes. And like we've said before, and volunteers are fine in your organizations and what you do in, in, in the world around you, but at Riverside, we've decided we don't want to have any more volunteers. Volunteers may or may not sign up, they may or may not show up. What we want to have are people who are willing to make a difference, people who are called to make a difference, people who want to use the, the time, the talent, the treasure that God has given them to make a difference in the kingdom of God here at Riverside in whatever way they can, people that want to say yes. And it's my prayer that God will continue to raise up in this church that same spirit of uncommon generosity that, that allows us to be people that say yes and to serve each other and to serve our community and to serve our world in unprecedented ways. That is what gives our witness credibility and our testimony legs to stand on. It's when people say, when people see that we care.
when people see that we care. Because every person has a purpose, and every purpose positions you and me for greater impact in the kingdom of God. This month, as we prepare to engage in what matters most, as we prepare to live different and to make a difference, I just want you to, I want you to ask yourself, how am I making a difference? Is there a yes I need to say yes to? Is there something I can do to make a difference in this church, in our community for Jesus? And as we do, I think God is going to just explode our wildest dreams as we step in to making a difference for him.